Please pray with me. Yes, Lord, let your love come over us. Let your grace fall on us. Let your light shine on us that we may be saved, that we may have life to shine in the darkest night. Let your light shine on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good all the time. Okay, clearly I don't have a lot of voice this morning, but it could be worse. I could have a voice to preach and not a heart to preach. I have a heart to preach, I just don't have a voice. And given the choice of the two, I like the situation I'm in. For every person who can handle success, I'll show you 10 who can handle adversity. In fact, it is hard to be humble when you have been to the mountaintop. And Kent Hughes frames it for us when he asks, why are things so upside down? Why are we so bent to pride? Why is humility so hard for us? And he uses the analogy of dogs and cats. He says, the master pets a dog. The dog wags its tail and thinks, my master must be God. He he loves his master. But the same master pets the cat, and the cat purrs and shuts his eyes and thinks to itself, I must be God. (laughs) Whether you like dogs or cats, hear me when I say that after God has graciously reached down to us, there is this twisted human tendency to think like the cat. But in this analogy, you want to be like the dog. Jesus taught his disciples then and now that the way to true greatness is to give glory to God and not to ourselves. So I wonder this morning, I've been wondering all week, and maybe you'll wonder with me, who is the greatest Christian you have ever known? Maybe when Peter and James and John spent that special time with Jesus and saw him in all of his glory and saw Moses and Elijah up close and personal, maybe they thought, We're at least in the top 10. For Jesus to choose us over the other nine and bring us up there. But when they came down from the mountain, they not only saw his glory, but his greatness because he was able to heal the little boy when they could not. Can you believe after seeing Jesus transfigured in all his glory and seeing Jesus show his greatness by healing a boy, that the only thing they could still think about was which one of them would be the greatest. Would you open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter nine? I wanna read verses 46 through 50 with you, just these five verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's stand together. Greatness in the kingdom of God. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. 
For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. Thank you. You may be seated. Clearly, they were clueless. The disciples are scratching their heads. They don't understand Jesus. They've seen him. They ought to know him by now, but they don't understand him. They don't understand why Jesus continues to talk about being crucified and why he continues to insist that he's going to the cross. They don't understand Jesus, but thankfully, he understands them. He tests the motives of their hearts And he wonders why they're wondering who will be the greatest among them. In fact, each of the gospels, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give us the same story and just different insights into the story. And Jesus brings this child and says, if you will welcome a child, if you will welcome the least, if you will humble yourself in that way, then you will be able to replace your hostility with hospitality. And if you welcome one in my name, you are welcoming me, you're welcoming my father. And maybe it was that little expression in my name that so captured John's attention that he said, wait a minute, Jesus, we heard some people using your name. They were casting out demons. They were doing, by the way, what the disciples had been unable to do just earlier that day. And he said, We forbid him. We stopped him. We tried to stop him from casting out demons. And and Jesus said, stop stopping him. Because if he's not against you, he is for you. Have you noticed how we love to rank things? You, You see it even in the sort of college football picture. We want to know who is the best. So number one plays number two. And we want to know who's the best. And will it count at the end of the season? And why isn't there a system? Why can't it be like the NFL where there's a a championship? And why? Because we want to know who is the best. And it shows something about our comparison obsession, as Thomas DeLong calls it, that we play that game with each other as well. Who is the greatest Who's the greatest Christian you have ever known? Who's the greatest Christian I have ever known? And Jesus says, you might not know them if you saw them because they are so busy being the least that they're not concerned about their own greatness. Greatness in the kingdom is not measured the way that we measure greatness. It has to do with humility. It has to do with hospitality. It has to do with ceasing hostility, ceasing to compare ourselves with others, but just simply to savor the grace that makes us God's trophies, to realize that if we ever do anything great, it is because God is great and he has revealed his greatness in us. Let me show you in this passage that you will know something about greatness in the kingdom of God if you realize that the greatest are those who receive the least and welcome them in Jesus' name. 
It's amazing how Jesus brings this little boy into the presence, this small child into the presence of the disciples. And even in doing that, what he's saying is to replace your hostility, you might start with humility. You might start by becoming like this little child. And the other gospels, particularly Matthew chapter 18, um, reminds us that we're supposed to humble ourselves like little children. Why? Because the least become the greatest in God's math, in God's economy, the least become the greatest. I saw it this week in just a little clip. I showed it last night, but it was a little bit intense for the children in the crowd, and so I'll spare you that. But from the movie, The Lord of the Rings, in the fellowship of the ring, there's that moment when they realize that the ring of power has to be destroyed and one of the uh, dwarves tries to, to break it. Gimli tries to break it with his hatchet and his hatchet is broken on the ring of power. And they realize, how will we destroy this? And finally, the king of the elves says, well, it will have to be taken back to Mordor. Somebody will have to take it back to that awful, evil place because it was formed in that fire. It can only be destroyed by that fire. And the elves volunteer and the dwarves volunteer and the people volunteer and the kings volunteer. But at the end of the day, all they can do is argue. Who will be the greatest? Who is worthy to take the ring of power? And finally, finally, little Frodo, the hobbit, says, I will do it. And everybody is astonished to think that this tiny, diminutive little person would be the greatest. But he becomes the greatest because he's willing to sacrifice, because he's willing to humble himself, because he's willing to recognize that he is the least. He is able to become the greatest. And unless you and I begin to think like children and receive the kingdom like children do and welcome children, we will never fully understand greatness in the kingdom. So Jesus says, welcome a child. And even the Talmud, the sort of uh, interpretation of the law said, don't waste your time chattering with children. It will just waste your life. And to this day, many people have this um, idea that, that children are just the, the least. And here they are in the middle of this argument. They're in this argument. And I love the way that Luke puts it because it reminds me of the arguments my brothers and I used to have and my kids sometimes have. Nobody started the argument. Do you see it? An argument, a dialogismos, a, a dialogue, an argument just started. So that if my parents said, who started this? We all said, it just started. Not me, not no, no. It just, it just sort of started up. And they're in the middle of this argument. And Jesus' answer to the argument is a child. And he says, if you don't receive children, then you're not receiving me. And if you don't receive me, you can't receive my father. So welcome the children. One of the things that's happened to me in the last 14 years of serving you is that I've noticed that you all are making me better. And I'll give you an example because on Saturday night, just a few weeks ago, um, during the greeting time, and by the way, I won't be shaking any hands today. I don't want you to get what I have. So it's not um, personal. It's just, I don't want you to be sick like I'm sick. But it's interesting that I was in the handshaking time, the greeting time. I, I saw one of our deacons sitting in front of me where he always sits on Saturday night. And I walked to him to shake his hand. And just as we were shaking hands, a little girl came walking across. She knew him and his wife because they had taught her Sunday school. And so she called them by name and I smiled at her and I smiled at them. And I was turning to shake hands with somebody else when the deacon took my arm 
pulled me back and said, I want you to meet this little girl. And I reached down and shook her hand. And it was only as I walked away that I realized I had taken time to greet the important one, one of my deacons. But my deacon knew better than I did. He knew the most important person in that moment was the little girl. And I will not forget that lesson, that moment when he said to me, you may think I'm important, but she is really, really important. And later in this same gospel, can you believe these same disciples after getting this object lesson, the the people bring the children to Jesus and the disciples, remember this? It's in Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. They, They try to run the people off. Jesus does not have, even after Jesus taught them this, Jesus does not have time and Jesus says no. He shows them. He welcomes the child. One of the gospels says Jesus took him really close to himself. Jesus was saying, these are the worthy ones. They receive the kingdom with humility. And you will have to do the same with humility, with hospitality. You overcome hostility. And then Jesus Jesus, as he's walking with his disciples, John, one of the ones who went up on the mountain with Jesus, and by the way, the sons of thunder, John and James, are very vocal in this passage for this week and the passage we'll look at next week. They're not very kind people. And so John, who's still competing, John, who says to Jesus, we found somebody who was casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. What he was saying was, this man could do what we could not do. But notice closely what Jesus shows him. First of all, the man was actually opposing evil. And you can tell something, not everything, but you can tell something about a person by the things that they oppose. Here is a man who is working against evil. How could he not be on Jesus' side if he was working against evil, but it's hard for John to process that he and the other 11 were unable, even though Jesus had given them the authority in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, to cast out a demon. Here's a man who's actually succeeding at it, and he's threatened by that. And then notice that he's not only casting out demons, but this man is doing it in Jesus' name. He not only has power against the right opponent, But he's doing it in the right way. He's calling upon the name of Jesus because Jesus is the name at which evil must flee. So even the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts will will speak about Jesus' name and about about, um, Paul's name. And the demons say, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but it occurs to us that you don't know Jesus, so we're not going to listen to you. But this man apparently knew Jesus well enough. And it's interesting to hear what John says. Not just that he's not with us, that's the NIV, but he doesn't follow with us. That's the word. And the whole chapter nine of the Gospel of Luke is about following. That's how you know you're a disciple. And he's not following with us, after us. And Jesus says, no, don't, no, stop stopping him because he's doing the right thing. I was reminded of Numbers chapter 11 and verse 29 where Moses um, is approached by Joshua when, when two of the, the dads, um, um, Eldad and um, Medad, are preaching. And they're prophesying. And Joshua runs up to him and says, we've got to stop these guys. They're preaching just like you do. And Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. You hear the same spirit in John the Baptist when his disciples come and say, Jesus is getting more disciples than we are. 
And John the Baptist says, you know what? I have to become less. He has to become greater still. Remember that Larnell Harris song? Um, I must become less, so much less that you become greater still. Lord, empty me of everything that keeps me from your will. For only in my weakness can your power be fulfilled. I have to become so much less. You hear it in the Apostle Paul when he's in prison and he's writing one of the prison epistles to the church at Philippi and he hears that some of his opponents are preaching and he says, I can't judge their motives. They might even be preaching for the wrong reasons. But either way, if they're preaching the gospel, Philippians 1.18, I rejoice in that. And I wonder if we have come to the place that we can rejoice in the successes of others. This is confession time this morning. Do you ever, when somebody else succeeds, take that personally? (laughs) Do you ever, when somebody else is not doing well, secretly treasure the fact that they didn't do well? I'll move beyond sports teams here and think about a series of awards that I saw given out this week. And I remember when I first saw the list and I was first affronted because I didn't get to vote on the list and I'm on the board that apparently compiled the list. But the second thing that bugged me was that the preacher they chose for the Pro Ecclesia Award was not of my denomination. And that bothered me. And I thought, who are the yo-yos who are choosing people who are not of my denomination for this award? And it was only this week when I saw this gracious man, who, by the way, is a friend to me. When I saw him receive that award, the Lord reproved me because something said to me, you would have liked it if you had gotten the award. And maybe you're angry because he was honored instead of you. If you knew his name, and I'm not going to say it, or you'd see how silly this whole thing is, you would realize how far he has eclipsed anything I will ever be. Just a few years ago, one of the pastors in our town, who likewise has, um, has preached to his tens of thousands, uh, when I have preached to my hundreds and a few thousands, and he sent a film crew over here because he said, our church wants to pray for you, and we want you to tell us on camera how we can pray for you. They film me right out there in front of the sign where some people trim their dogs, I understand, while we're worshiping. <laughs> And they filmed me right out there in front of the sign and and they took this film and they asked me how they could pray for me and I gave them three or four ways that they could pray for me personally. It was a couple weeks later, I walked into um, a uh, a pre-operative room. Um, um, Somebody was having surgery on a Monday morning, one of our members. And a lady looked at me, the nurse, and said, I know you. And for all the world, I looked at her and thought, I don't know you. She said, I know you. You were on the screen at my church yesterday we saw a video of you and you told us how we could pray for you. And our whole church stopped and prayed just for you. When I think of that story, I think of this story and I realize that, that unless you and I cease the competition, unless we come to the place where we can simply say, God has been good to me and that is enough for me, we will always have this comparison, competition, obsession. But Jesus says, if anybody is doing good, they're on our team. If anybody's using Jesus' name to do good, 
Clearly, they are on our team. A few weeks ago when I was flying to Amarillo, I guess it was a couple Sundays ago, and I was um, on the plane and, and during the flight, I went to the back and I saw a friend of mine named Burt Burleson, who's the chaplain of Baylor University. And um, he was a pastor there in Waco and then he became the chaplain. And, um, and I remember back when we were hiring that position and the guy who was hiring the position came to me and he said, I want you to do that job. And I said, I have no desire to do that job. I'm doing the job I really love to do, but I'm honored that you would ask me that. And it was only after watching Bert in that position that I realized how right he is for that and how wrong I would have been. Matt, Vanda, Matt Vandenbrink, who was um, my... Um, Matt Vandegrift, who was my uh, um, associate here, was mentored by Bert Burleson. Um, Bert's helping a young minister that I know up there. And um, when this young minister had no money to go to school the next semester, he found a scholarship for him. Bert has ministered to my own son, Graham, in wonderful ways. He's the sort of chaperone of his uh, fraternity. And I saw Bert back there, and he was talking to this young woman who was holding a baby. And um, so I didn't say anything to him, but as I came back by, I sort of tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, Bert. And he said, hey, I want you to meet Skye. Skye is a missionary to Zambia, and she's bringing her baby home. This is the first time her parents are going to see their grandchild. You need to know Skye. And I said to Skye, oh, I was in Zambia this summer, and we started talking. And, and I went back, and I wrote down in my journal, Bert Burleson is doing what he always does, loving people in Jesus' name. Wherever he goes, that's what he does. And who wouldn't want to be on the same team with somebody like that? Somebody shared with me this week that um, those mountain climbers who are going up K2, one of the tallest mountains in the world this year, came upon another group of climbers who had run out of oxygen and who were simply dying on the mountain. And it was a moment of decision And it happened that those who were climbing the mountain had to decide, we've spent forty to $60,000. This is our one chance. If we don't go to the top of the mountain right now, we may never make the summit of this mountain or we can save the lives of these. And they chose, unbelievably, to climb the mountain and to let the people die. And it's caused a great controversy. I have a brother who tried to climb uh, Cho Yu this summer and had to come down because of uh, the oxygen depletion in his brain. He said he, every time he's climbed Kilimanjaro, McKinley, and all these uh, huge mountains that, that people have been carried down on stretchers while he was going up. And I remember the words of um, Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first with his Sherpa guide, Tenzin Norgay, to climb Mount Everest back in 1953. And he said, no mountain in the world is worth a single human life. And when he came down from the mountain after succeeding, he gave credit to his Sherpa guide, Tenzin Norgay, and said, twice he saved my life on the way to the top of the mountain. This shifted the focus. The media turned to the Sherpa guide and said, what do you have to say about that? And Norgay simply smiled and said, We mountain climbers help each other. We who are trying to climb this mountain of discipleship will never make it to the top without each other. We will need each other just to survive. And if you want to be really great, then receive the least and welcome them in Jesus' name. If you want to be really great, then um, rejoice in the ministry successes of others
and join them in their work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your amazing love and grace. We're astonished at your goodness to us, Lord. You have been better to us than we deserve. That is our universal story. And today, Lord, I pray that you would teach us that you alone are great, like the crowds that marveled at your power to do the miracle and heal the boy. We marvel, Lord, that you have healed us, that you have found a way to find us. And we come to you today and ask, God, that you would make us great in your kingdom through service. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.